May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. I mean, come on, we're not going to show people dying in church, right? Okay, <laughs> that's not going to happen. But listen, can you imagine, like, if that was, like, real? Can you imagine, like, really being in that situation? Like, how terrifying that would be? Well, guess what? There's a story in the Bible where people go through that almost exact situation. And that's the story that we're going to look at today. And I'm telling you, God has some incredible lessons that he wants to impart to us through that story. But now, before we get to that story, I'm going to tell you a little about something that happened to me when I was growing up. Just before I entered my seventh grade year in school, uh, my dad took a new job and we had to move. Now, we moved from Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a beautiful part of the country. I mean, the, the trees change colors, like, you know, to something other than brown. And, it, you know, surrounded by the Smoky Mountains. I mean, I'm telling you, it is gorgeous. And we moved to San Antonio. Yeah. Like, the, I mean, as a seventh grade, like, the food was weird and, like, People spoke a funny language like that I didn't understand, and it was hot, and it was flat, and I was lonely, and I hated it, and I hated that we moved, but that move set in motion a chain of events that God would use that would change my life forever. Now remember, I hated it when we moved. I mean, I remember praying that God would not allow us to, and I remember after we moved, I prayed that God would move us back, okay? And I am so glad that God did not answer the prayers of a very sad, lonely, little seventh grade boy. Because I'm telling you, the things that came from that move like, I, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't go back even if I could. Because, see, after we moved, we, we moved to San Antonio, that's where my family found a church where I fell in love with God, and I fell in love with the Bible, and that's where God called me to be a pastor. And after graduate high school, I chose to go to Baylor because it was only three hours away from my family. And it was at Baylor that I met a very beautiful young lady named Amy, whom I would eventually marry. And during two summers uh, when I, at, at college, I interned at a church in Katy, and it was at that church that I eventually became the youth pastor, and it was at that church as a youth pastor that I eventually met the people that helped start Parkway Fellowship with a passion to reach new people for Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm telling you, it was like, it was an incredible story of all that God did. And remember, like, I hated it. I didn't want to move. But yet, in order for God's plan to come about, I had to. And you know what, looking back, I wouldn't want it any other way. And, and I wonder how many of us have ever been mad at God for how things are turning out. I wonder how many of us have ever 
you know, really prayed that God would change the direction of how things are going. I wonder how many of us have ever been, ever found ourselves, you know, in a perfect storm type of situation and have cried out to God to intervene. And, and I'm talking about the things that, you know, that we can't anticipate that happen, the, the, you know, like a move, you know, or a job change, or a career change, or an accident, or a diagnosis. You know, I mean, something that we, we just simply possibly could not anticipate. Well, wouldn't it be nice if in the midst of all that, that we could have some assurance from God that he was in control and that everything in the end is going to work out exactly like he wants, and we would also arrive at the conclusion that it was, it's great and we would thank him for it. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could have some principles that would guide us along the way so that in that in-between time, we wouldn't struggle so much? Yeah, that'd be great. Well, the story that we're going to look at today gives us just that. Now, it's a story that probably you've never heard in its entirety. And I, I, I've actually never heard a message preached on this story before. And I'm going to tell you what. I've been going to church a really long time. Now, in order for us to really understand this story, we need to look at the background. And the background of this story is a little bit extensive. It's more than what we're used to. So, you know, hang on, all right? Um, we begin in the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, where the Apostle Paul has been preaching. And Paul is publicly accused of a crime that he did not commit. But this public accusation caused such an uproar in the city that it literally started a riot. Well, the commander of the Roman garrison hears that a riot is starting somewhere in the city, so he grabs the soldiers, they rush to the scene, and by the time they get there, the people have already grabbed Paul and are beating him and literally are about to kill him. So the Roman soldiers squelch the riot, they arrest Paul and take him and throw him in the jail and, command, and the commander decides, you know what, I'm just going to sort it out in the morning. Well, the next day, when the Roman commander starts to question Paul, he finds out that Paul is a citizen of Rome. Now, that's a really big deal because Roman citizens had rights of due process in a time in human history when virtually nobody had any rights. And the Roman commander has violated Paul's rights, and so it puts him in a really bad spot. So because he's done that, and because there's people in Jerusalem that still want to kill Paul, the Roman um, commander decides to send Paul to another city to help kind of remove himself from the issue, to send Paul to another city and let them sort it all out. Well, you know what? That's exactly what happens. Paul is sent to the coastal city of Caesarea Philippi. Now, when he gets there, unfortunately, there is, an, there is a change in leadership in government. And so Paul's case is not heard immediately. Instead, Paul stays under house arrest for almost two years. And then finally... Uh, the guy in charge, his name is Festus, he hears Paul's case. And now Festus realizes almost immediately that Paul's innocent of breaking any kind of Roman law. But because Festus is still kind of new in power, he wants to please the Jews and garner their support. 
And so he offers to send the trial back to Jerusalem under the guise of, you know, so Paul can be tried by a jury of his peers, which sounds really good to us, but the Jews wanted Paul to come back to Jerusalem because they wanted to either assassinate him while he was there or rig the trial so that they could give him the death penalty. Well, look, Paul's no dummy. He knows all this. And so Paul does something that only a Roman citizen can do. He appeals his trial to be heard by Caesar. Now, that doesn't mean that Caesar personally is going to hear Paul's case, but it does mean that the highest court in all of the Roman Empire, you know, kind of like our Supreme Court, will hear his case, and that court is located in Rome. So now Festus has to send Paul to Rome, but that's problematic, and here's why. It's because Festus knows that the, the Supreme Court in Rome is going to almost immediately realize that Paul's innocent. And they're going to also wonder, why couldn't Festus decide such an easy case? Is Festus this incompetent? Has Rome made a mistake by putting Festus in charge? Festus clearly doesn't want them asking these kinds of questions, and so now Festus is in a bind. And that's where we pick up the story. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. Let's, let's uh, begin by asking this question. What are the key lessons that God has for me in this story? Okay, we start with lesson number one. Lesson number one is this. Man cannot thwart God's plans. Man cannot thwart God's plans. Look what happens in Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. It says this. Um, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, because Festus has now put Paul on a boat, uh, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other princes were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. Now, if you read the next eight verses, what you'll find out is that as they began this journey, man, they ran into some real bad storms, and they were having a hard time sailing on the Mediterranean Sea. And because they had run into these initial storms, we get to verse 9. Now, I want you to underline all of verse 9. It says this, much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. Now, the fast is a reference to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, a Jewish high holiday, which means that this is late September or early October, okay? Now, why is that a big deal? It's because this is the stormy season in the Mediterranean Sea. And it was incredibly dangerous to be sailing on the Mediterranean at this time because it wasn't just like little storms. These are hurricane-type storms on the sea. And get this. There is historical evidence that Festus delayed Paul's sailing by about six weeks to make sure that Paul would sail during the stormy, most dangerous season on the Mediterranean Sea. And why would he do that? Well, it's because Festus wanted Paul's ship to be caught in one of these hurricanes, knowing it would probably sink, hoping that Paul would drown, 
and then all of the political problems for Festus just go away. And you know what? That's pretty much what happens. Paul's boat is caught in a hurricane. The boat does sink, but Paul survives. And the reason why Paul survives is because nothing can thwart God's plans. Nothing. I mean, I'm telling you, look, when God wants something done, when God wants to accomplish something, I'm telling you, it is going to happen. And there's no amount of political scheming, there's no amount of manipulation, there's no amount of maneuvering that anyone could ever make that could somehow thwart God's plans. Look, God wanted Paul to go to Rome to preach about Jesus, to write some of the most important books of the New Testament that would later influence the lives of literally billions of Christians over the next several centuries, including us today. And so there was no way that someone even as powerful as Festus was going to be able to thwart God's plans. And so now you know what that means for you? You know what that means for me? It means that you can be at peace. It means that you can be at peace. Because look, here's the thing. If God wants something done, then it's going to happen. Okay? If God wants you to have that job, like you'll have that job. If God wants you to move, then you're going to move. If God wants you to, you know, have that scholarship, you'll have the scholarship. If God wants you to have a baby, you'll have a baby. If God wants you to date that girl, then you're going to date that girl. If God wants that guy to call, then that guy's going to call. Or maybe he'll get a friend to call. But look, there's going to be a call, okay? The point is, the point is, is that if God wants something done, nothing's going to thwart his plans. And remember, here's the thing, look, you got to remember this. God might be doing something that, like, that you can't see yet. You know, like, like when he made me move when I was in seventh grade, there was no way that I could have possibly anticipated all that God had in store down the road, but man, that move was necessary to start that chain of events. So you might not be able to see all that God is doing, and you might not be able to see all that God is not doing, but nothing can thwart his plans. And you can know this, that God does have a plan. Now, that plan might not be going according to your timing, but it is going according to his, and you can trust that. So here's the thing, you can, you can stop worrying, you can stop fretting, you can stop stressing out, you can stop losing sleep, you can stop letting whatever it is consume your every waking thought, because you don't need to stress about those things because nothing can thwart God's plans. Look, here's, here's, here's the thing. Your job is to follow God, not worry about where God is leading. Let me say that again, okay? Your job is to follow God, not worry about where God is leading. Let me just say this. If there's things in your life that are out of your control and you're really stressed out about all those things that are out of your control, then that's an indicator that you aren't fully trusting God with the direction of your life. Now, look, none of that means that, um, you know, that, that you, just, you just throw your hands up 
and you just say, okay, you know what? Well, God's going to do what God's going to do, you know, so I don't have to you know, pray, obey, or keep sin at bay, okay? No, no, no. You still have to follow God with all your heart. That's your job. You follow him with all your heart. So look, I've got two questions for you. Here's the first. Are you following God with all your heart? Honestly, are you following God with all your heart as best you can? Because look, if you're not, then start there. And look, and it doesn't mean that like you have to be perfect or like super holy or otherwise you're going to shipwreck all of God's plans. Okay, look, you're not that powerful. Okay? And neither am I. But look, following God is the only thing that you have full control over. So why not fully commit to do the thing that you can control? And that's following with your whole heart. Second question is this. Do you truly believe that nothing can thwart God's plans? I mean, do you truly believe that? Because here's the thing. If you do, you're likely going to have to remind yourself of that multiple times in life. Because when things are spinning out of control, it's going to feel like you just need to grab as much control as you can and you can start stressing and worrying. And you've got to realize, well, no, 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 I've got I to I remind myself that whatever God's plan is in all this, nothing can thwart that. And so you're going to have to remind yourself of that a few times. And that's okay. And it's really healthy. Okay. Second big lesson that we get out of this story today is this. The lesson is, I am not my own. I am not my own. Let's look at the Bible. Look at how it continues. Uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter 27, verse 14, it says this. Before long, a wind of a hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. They were actually sailing just south of an island. It uh, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am, and I want you to circle whose I am and whom I serve, I want you to circle whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Okay, now, look at verse 23, that, those parts I had you circle, where it says, you know, last night an angel of the God who, uh, whose I am and whom I serve. Do you ever talk like that? Like, no. I mean, does anybody talk like that? I mean, do you ever say, you know, the God whose I am and whom I serve will see me through this. You know, the God whose I am and whom I serve, you know, like, will provide me. The God whose I am and whom I serve, you know, will give me everything I need. I mean, do we ever talk like that? I mean, I don't talk like that. But I should. 
Because behind those words is a very biblical principle that truthfully often gets pushed to the margins. And that biblical principle is, I am not my own. See, Paul knew that his life was not his own. And what happened with his life was not really up to him. It was up to God. And so Paul, later on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he writes these words because he tells us why he is not his own. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, the context of 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is specifically talking about sexuality, which, by the way, is especially relevant in our day. Okay? Paul tells us is that when, you know, when it comes to sex, you're not free to do whatever you want when you want. You're not free to sleep with who you want, when you want, whenever you want. Your body is not your own. You were bought with a price. See, when you became a Christ follower, you willingly sold yourself to God. And what'd you sell him? You sold him all of your sinful past. You sold him all of your regret. You sold him all of your shame. You sold him all of your painful experiences. You sold him all of your self-destructive choices. And in exchange, you received eternal life for after you die. You received his forgiveness for everything you've ever done in your past. You received acceptance into his family, and you received his guidance while you live here on this earth. And what was the price for all of that? The price was the life of his son, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus voluntarily gave his life to be sacrificed on a cross to pay for your sins. So literally, God paid the highest price he could ever pay for you. In fact, the truth is, God paid the only price he could ever pay for you. I mean, have you ever thought about that? That in order for God to pay a price that would actually cost him something, it couldn't be something that God could just simply make more of. You know, like, it couldn't be money because, you know, God just simply just make more money, so it doesn't really cost him anything. In order for it to cost God, he would have to pay something that he only had a limited quantity of. Well, there's only one thing that fits that description. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the entire Bible, says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And that's Jesus Christ. You see, when God paid the price for you, he paid with the only thing that would actually cost him something. Jesus Christ. And so, while it cost God something, the truth is, it cost God everything. Because it's the only thing he couldn't replace. So, Paul would say to you and he would say to me, he would say, look, don't you understand? Like, don't you get it? 
See, when Jesus Christ died for you, you gave him all of your sin and you received all of his forgiveness. But there is an understanding in which you need to live your life for him from that point forward because he bought you with a price. Your life is no longer yours to just live however you want to because you're not your own. And so maybe from time to time that's going to require some self-denial. Maybe you're going to go through some stormy seasons in life, you know, literally like me or maybe figuratively, but regardless, even when you're going through those storms, your life is not your own. It belongs to God and he will do with it as he sees fit. And really the only thing that you can do is what I've chosen to do, and that is to follow Christ. Man, wouldn't it be awesome to have a commitment like that? Wouldn't it be amazing to live for Christ like Paul did? Would you make a commitment to live for Christ like that? You know, for some of you, that means that you need to actually start by having, by, by asking Jesus to come into your life to forgive you for everything you've ever done. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of everything you've ever done, then there's a sample prayer to the bottom of your message notes. I want you to pray that prayer right now. I want you to pray that prayer. Now, for those of you that have already prayed that prayer at some point in your life, then what that means is that you need to make a commitment to live for Christ in such a way where you could say, I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. So let me ask this. <clears throat> do, you need to, do you need to confess to God that that has not been your attitude? I mean, do you need to repent of that? Do you need to ask God to, do you need to just, take a few moments and get right with God? Do you need to ask him to change your heart so that your heart could actually say and reflect the attitude of basically the God whose I am and whom I serve has complete control of my life and whatever he says I'll do and wherever he says I'll go. Would you do that? Now, Paul and all of his companion sailors, they all made it to shore safely because nothing can thwart God's plans. And Paul eventually makes it to Rome where, while on trial, he goes to prison. And he is in prison, and while he's there, he writes some of the most well-known books of the Bible, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, books of the Bible that have, God has used to change many lives listening today. And so the point is, is that God has a plan for you and your life, and nothing can thwart that plan if you will follow him with all your heart. Follow God with all of your heart, and you'll find that nothing will thwart God's plans for you. And even when perfect storms come and things aren't working out like you thought, you don't have to worry, you don't have to stress, because you have already bought into the truth of, I am not my own. And even if you have to remind yourself of that sometimes, that's okay. Because God has a great plan for you, even when things aren't working out like you want. Even like they weren't working out for me like I wanted in seventh grade. Eventually, we'll look back and say, God, I wouldn't have it any other way. Let me pray for you. 
Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for preserving this text for us, this story, so that we could see these truths and they would jump off the page at us. And I pray for those that are listening today that are going through a stormy season, going through some difficult times, some things that maybe they don't understand. I ask that you would help them be grounded in you, put their faith and trust in you, knowing that you're at work, even if they can't see it or they can't explain it, but they just choose to trust you anyway. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would all adopt the attitude of that we are not our own, that we've been bought. And we were bought with the precious blood and life of Jesus Christ. And it's to him that we owe all things. So help us to follow you with all of our heart. And bring us back next week so that we can hear more. And ask you to do all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.